Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard. Our guest this week is Laura Lynn Knight. She is a parenting expert. She calls herself a parenting educator. We are going to talk about how to properly navigate this crazy time that we live in uh, and so that we don't we don't transfer our stress to our kids, how to parent our kids so they turn into the adults that we want them to be. Uh, she's got a, an amazing amount of insight, some tricks, some tips, and also just a way of reframing your mindset so that you can be the, uh, the best parent you possibly can be. This is great for parents, caretakers, grandparents, anybody that, that has kids in their lives, how to, how to deal with it. Because I know I, I internalize my stress and it comes out as anger. So this is a great opportunity for you guys to learn how to manage that if you're anything like me. Uh, but first, of course, we have to hear uh, from our sponsors, including Rocket Mortgage. This part of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast, is presented by Rocket Mortgage. Want to see your loan options, adjust payments, and closing costs online in real time? Rocket can. All right, really quick thank you. Uh, one more special thanks to our sponsors. Uh, but here we go. It's time to get into the, into the nitty-gritty. Time to get into the brass tacks. Let's dive in to my interview with Laura Lynn Knight. Laura Lynn Knight parenting educator and former elementary school teacher. Thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Now, you know, you you have a ton of resources on helping parents deal with, <laughs> deal with, there's like this, there's, I, I, it's like a parent anger, right? Uh, and I, I can't even describe the level of frustration that it, that, that, it, it comes when the kids just aren't listening. And we all have a different version of that over the last year where we're combining our parenting with having to teach and our kids having meltdowns because they're feeling, you know, they're struggling with the difficulties of doing stuff online and having to do it. All of, all of that combining to make a lot, add a lot of stress to the home. Right. And, and I've been told, I've been told by my kids a lot that I'm the worst dad ever, that they hate me. And then they come back and they feel bad later. But like these kinds of confrontations are not, rare right now uh <laughs> how bad is that for our kids <laughs> like how, how much damage are we doing well i think the beauty is that it's not rare it's not rare in your home it's not rare in my home so it's happening and we're not necessarily doing damage but I think it's like, you know, when we had that vision of I'm going to have a baby and I'm going to have kids mm -hmm. and it was so like this beautiful dream and there wasn't kids slamming doors and yelling at you in that dream. And there weren't fights about how do you get your shoes on and get to school on time. And right. there's just so much angst that comes with parenting. Plus, like you said, the past you know year and a half of parenting has been particularly hard. And how, how do we take out some of that drama so we can really enjoy kids would, because we had them, we wanted to have them, right? Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, some of us, yeah, but yes. We don't want to yeah. regret the decision, right? Every so, day. <laughs> so, so I guess so. Like, okay, so that there's that that uh, you know everybody. I see my kids have it when they're having tantrums. I see myself have it when they're having tantrums. Where there's mm -hmm. a sort of a disconnect between what you're talking about, which is the pre appreciation and the doubling down on the prefrontal cortex way that we've engaged with our kids uh, mm -hmm. and that we want were the things that we want that we know, mentally know that we want versus the sort of emotional override that occurs when you're just so frustrated when your kids are frustrated you're frustrated um, so I, I hear that everybody's having to deal with it and that's it's that in that sense it's good but you know I also feel like we're creating a 
uh, we're, it's a it's a maelstrom and it, it starts to become ingrained as a habit. So I want to start to break that habit. A, I want to know what it does to us, and and then how do we begin? To, how do we begin to retake that? This is why I had kids moment, or this is why you know we're building memories, not building damaging things for therapy. <laughs> that would be nice, building memories over mm-hmm. damaging things for therapy. Yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, in the work that I do with parents, what we talk about the most is we talk about our own self-regulation as parents, because really we set the tone. And when sure. you just mentioned, you know, the prefrontal cortex, that's so important because our prefrontal cortex is in charge of our critical thinking skills. It's like mm-hmm. our emotional rec- regulation but in kids, that doesn't fully develop until they're 25 years old. So they're often living in the lower part of their brain. That's mm-hmm. where their amygdala is. We, when we think of fight, flight, freeze, that's the amygdala. You know, we think of the lower part of the brain as like the mammalian reptile brain, it's sometimes called. And so they're living in that state and they can't always be in their prefrontal cortex and it's limited even when they are. So as parents, how are we helping our children, A, be in their prefrontal cortex, you know, and those are a lot of the tools that I do teach and we can talk about, but we don't even have a shot at that as parents if we're not regulated ourselves. Sure. And so- I think that that sounds sometimes to parents like, oh, yeah, that's a no brainer. Like I need to be regulated. But the truth is what we see more and more in parenting is that parents are very reactionary. We have a lot of reactive parenting going on. Mm -hmm. And in the past, what we saw was a lot of authoritarian parenting. If you live under my roof, you do as I say. Sure. And so people were like, eh, that doesn't work. We kind of know that way doesn't work. Then we saw a lot of permissive parenting, go run free, play out in the streets. I think a lot of us, you know, in my generation, I was raised that way, go be free, but safety concerns, things have changed over time. So Mm -hmm. now we have parents where we're like playing friends to kids, but we also have to be their parents. Mm -hmm. And then we're watching them full time because- of COVID and everything that happened in there. And so there's just a lot of reaction going on in the home. And that's the part of it that's damaging. You know, that's the yelling, the threatening. And I, I even throw in there like the over rewarding and the bribing because that's anxiety ridden for kids too. If it's always like, I got to get the sticker. I need to get Mm -hmm. the next toy. I mean, that, that ultimately doesn't feel good either. Um, So I always like to start with parents in my work with like, let's talk about self-regulation and what tools we as parents have for that so that we can even have a chance to have a calmer home. Okay. So I want to talk about how we can get to the calmer home in a second here, but but what, how do we avoid, what what is the course? If the course is not authoritarian, if the course is not, um, I mean, for lack of a better term, libertarian parenting, where you just let Mm -hmm. your kids do whatever, and it's not reactive, right? What is, what is, what sort of should be our overarching goal for how we present ourselves to, to our children? Wonderful, beautiful question. So authoritative parenting is a wonderful approach. It's really the premise of I'm kind, yet I'm firm. So we want to be kind to our children. Of course, we love them. We're grateful for them. But we also 
want to be firm with our boundaries, which means, you know, when it's time to get ready for school, it's time to get ready for school. And no does mean no. And how do we do that without having to have a bribe or a yell or a threat? It's yeah. How, how do how do we do that? Because I, I I legitimately want to know. I I every morning I get the same arguments. Every night at bedtime, it's the same arguments. It's you know mm-hmm. I, I I joke, but it's true. It's the same thing every night. You brush your teeth, you floss, you get your pajamas on, you get in bed. There's no we, we don't add nuance to it. It's not like and tonight you have to wrestle a raccoon before you get in your bed and they need help. It's the same thing, and yet every night it's a thing where you know, do it. You got to do it, and yes. and, and you know it's. I, I mean, even now I can feel my blood starting to boil just thinking about walking into a room and seeing them playing with toys when they knew it was bedtime. Like that kind of. What, what I don't know what else to do at that point but to start to say you know start to get angry. What what do yes. you do? Of course. So a lot of what I do with parents and, you know, the resources that I offer is let's build the tools so that we don't get to that point. So bedtime is a perfect example, you know, creating a routine chart for your child. So when my kids were really young and they couldn't yet read and write, I took pictures of them. This is what it looks like to brush your teeth. This is what we do, you know, when we're getting in bed. This is the stories that we read. And we really brainstorm that together so it becomes a collaborative process. It's not as much of me saying you're going to do this now. As they get older, they make their own routine charts. You know, my son is eight now. So his routine chart for bedtime looks different than my six-year-old daughter. Um, But I like to let routines often be the boss because we have had at that point a collaboration. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. make the routine chart for my child. I sit down and say, what do you need to do before bed? Let's talk about it and let's make the poster. What do you need to do in the morning to go to school? Let's talk about it. Let's make the poster. Oh, we're going on a trip on the airplane. Let's have a family meeting and talk about what are the rules and what are our family agreements about going on this trip together. So the more that we can plan ahead and our children can be part of that process, there really is a buy-in for them. Mm -hmm. And then the firmness still comes in when, you know, let's say you made the chart, they're still not brushing their teeth. And it's like, no, now you need to brush your teeth now. And if we don't get that done, then, you know, what would the logical consequence be? A logical consequence would be we don't have stories tonight. But Mm -hmm. it takes so much of that, like, if you don't go brush your teeth now, you don't get to see Johnny on Saturday for that play date. Mm -hmm. Because we still want him to have the play date on Saturday with Johnny or whatever, you know, it's like, we still want them to be able to watch TV sometimes. I think we get in a bind as parents because we're just pulling consequences out of right you know thin right. air yes yes just yes hoping yes. that they'll respond and it's like well what's a logical consequence in this situation yeah yeah I mean, that makes a lot I mean so that makes a lot of sense and i uh the the hard part for me and let's pivot back to what you wanted to talk about a, a couple minutes ago the hard part for me is when they aren't listening and you are starting to get <laughs> angry and you've maybe you've done the chart maybe you've had the buy-in but like you know, we can do this. And I think these are great resources. I think there's some really smart things that you said in there, but there will also be a day, uh, when, when this is not perfect, when, when, Mm -hmm. when, and it's frustratingly not perfect where you've said it multiple times, they have the chart, 
They understand that there's consequences and they're still not doing it and you're about to lose it. What are some tools to sort of rein in the chaos so that they feel more empowered to make the right decision with consequences? Yes. So, of course, because, you know, I've been doing this since my kids were really young, because after I was an elementary school teacher, I became certified in positive discipline. They have very much an authoritative parenting approach. So I know because I've been doing this from early on that we still have many of those days where the struggles come up, you know, mm-hmm. the struggle, the struggle mm-hmm. is very much real. Um, and so going back to self-regulation is Before I can do anything with consequences with my child, I really need to have a pause myself. And by this point in our conversation, you probably know that I like plans. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) so for me, I sit down with my kids. I have a plan to pause poster. It's actually on my website. You can download it for free and it has instructions and it's a really nice way to model what you do when you get really angry. What happens when you're not in your prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. and you're in that amygdala and that lower part of your brain? Mm-hmm. What are tools and strategies that work well for me? So some of my tools are, you know, maybe I take a deep breath or I play my favorite song or I smell a flower or a piece of fruit. You know, I ask my children, what are your tools? Like my daughter's as she's young. So it's like snuggle with a stuffy or, you know, we trace her hands. It's like kind of a somatic experience that you Mm -hmm. can do that's rooted in mindfulness. But they have the chart. We hang them on the wall. And then I model, hey, I'm getting really overwhelmed right now. I see that we're not following our routine or we're not following through on our agreement. I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to model now. Uh, how to not yell and scream and have a meltdown because I'm trying to teach my children not to do that too. Mm -hmm. And once I'm back into that rational part of my brain, I am definitely not an educator that's against consequences. I think it's completely reasonable to say you need to go sit on that chair until your body is calm and you're ready to participate again. You spent so long trying to get ready for bed that we simply do not have time for stories and you will be going to bed now. I think those kinds of consequences are okay. okay. I stay away from hitting, you know, I stay away from screaming, although sometimes I do, you know, I get <laughs> to that place. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when I do, I make an amends for my behavior. I say, you know, that's something that I'm working on and I'm sorry. And that must've felt really scary. I think, you know, discipline actually like the Latin root word of discipline means to teach. Mm-hmm. So when we're doing this work with our children, are we teaching them? You know, I like to ask myself that. Am I teaching them? Am I teaching them routines for life? Am I modeling behavior that I hope that they will one day learn and adopt themselves? Right. Or am I just being punitive? Yeah. Or am I just being punitive and adding stress and anxiety, which we all have enough of. We don't need to add more of that. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, yeah, and I mean, and it's and, and to your point that you know something you keep reiterating is that this stuff, it's, uh, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a snowball effect, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it, it becomes recursive. So the one as one thing happens, it makes it more likely for it to happen again, and then it just becomes a pattern of behavior that neither you nor your children, your children obviously don't have the tools to break, but then you are now in this thing where you're you don't know how to break it. So, um, yeah. So this is a good this is a good uh, sort of beginning for those tools. You mentioned um, that some of these tactics for calming down are rooted in mindfulness. Can you describe 
A, what, what mindfulness means as a parent, as a child, why it's good, and, and, and what are some sort of uh, backdoor practices we can use to get into mindfulness? Because it's hard to get like a kid to sit and do like a mindfulness app when they're having a tantrum. So how do you, how do yes, you begin to do that? Absolutely. Well, you know, what's so interesting is, so mindfulness, to go back to your first question, is mindfulness is being, is simply awareness. You know, I remember when my son was little, because I teach mindfulness and meditation, and he, I was teaching mindfulness to him in his class. And he said, mom, mindfulness is just doing what you're doing. And I was like, that's such a perfect definition because it really is that it's like being present in the moment and kids very naturally actually are mindful. They are present. They're creative. They're, you know, when they're playing, they're really in their play. Um, And I think a lot of times mindfulness is coming from like the top down, like parent down. Like we think that mindfulness is somehow being quiet. And so we're trying to teach kids in schools, like be mindful, take a breath, calm down. But I try to stay away from that a little bit because I don't think that's inherently what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is just, you know, it's like an equanimity of the mind, right? Like if you were a mountain, the mountain observes the weather. Sometimes it's freezing cold. Sometimes it's windy. Sometimes it's raining, but it can sit in that place of observation. So as a parent, I really want to be rooted in a mindfulness practice that can be meditation. It can be mindful eating. It can be mindful walking. And what it really looks like as a parent is like, I'm able to observe my feelings from this place of equanimity where I'm not being reactionary to them. Um, And that's that self-regulation piece that we were talking about. Now for kids, we can teach them mindfulness tools. Absolutely. That's beautiful. You know, when my daughter was young, we had um, a really bad mold problem in our house that we didn't know of. We I mean, you would have never known. And she had mold toxicity in her body and mold toxicity can make you really, really anxious. Actually, a lot of people who suffer from mental health conditions, don't know it, but they have mold um, or they might be living in mold. So I've learned a lot about that, but she became really anxious and um, we had to do a lot. We, we got to do a lot of mindfulness with her when she Mm -hmm. would get to that place of worry. You know, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? And that would really help calm her down and regulate her. Um, and so we can use these tools with kids so that they're less likely to get to that worried meltdown place. But when they're in the full on tantrum and like they've completely, they are not in their prefrontal cortex at all. No amount of deep breathing at that point is probably going to help because they're over it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. They're too far gone. Um, So for that, I have another tool that's also free on my website. I have calming cards for kids. I love to use somatic body work with them, which really just means that you're tapping into the body. So you're getting back into the prefrontal cortex, Mm -hmm. but it's so simple. It can be really fun. Like it can be games like rock, paper, scissors. 
Remember that when you were yeah, a kid? Like of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I yeah. still play with my kids now. Yes. Okay. So it's like my kids will be having a meltdown and I just come over quietly and I say, do you want to pick a card? I save them on my phone um, and I'll say, what card do you want to pick? And they'll be like, that one. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. okay. You know, and let's say it's rock, paper, scissors, go. And I don't even say it. I just quietly start moving my hands and then they reluctantly start moving their hands. And then all of a sudden they're back in their prefrontal cortex Mm -hmm. and we do the next, you know, card and maybe the next card is, um, playing, you know, another like clapping hand game, like Mm -hmm. a sailor went to CCC, one of those games that we used to do. Mm -hmm. And they do that. Um, and then we can, loop back and talk about what was going on that made you so upset or how frustrating, you know, you, how frustrated you felt or how frustrated I felt when you didn't listen, but we need to get them back online to that part of their brain before we can do anything. Right. Right. I mean, and that's, that's the hard thing is to get them is, (laughs) is to stay calm yourself in, and, 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 and to try to get them back into, into that space. And like, for me, Mm -hmm. like my biggest triggers are when the kids are fighting with each other, uh, mm-hmm. and you're like, well, you know, you just made it not, you didn't just make it hard for yourself, and you didn't just make us late. You're now like making this person scream. Like, what is what is going on? Yeah. I, I, oh, it's <laughs> I so think irritating. The two is so. I was an only child, so I've had to do the most learning with siblings. My husband mm-hmm. is one of four, so he for him it's like nothing. It doesn't trigger him at all. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm like, wait, I just helped all of you, like both of you. And you were calm and you were happy. And now one of you has just done something. And now we're right back, like, to the beginning. Oh, it just drives me nuts, too. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And so, yeah, it's like, how am I going to stay regulated in that? Mm-hmm. What calming tools are we going to use? What's our plan? You know, when it comes to siblings, I, te- I treat them both as fairly as possible, So Mm -hmm. trying not to take sides, I think is really important, you know, and not blaming one of them. I think it's often in homes, like one of the siblings gets blamed the Mm -hmm. most, Mm -hmm. but I always try to remember, you know, everyone has their part and, uh, it's a really like, we're teaching them again, we're teaching them conflict resolution. We're teaching them time management. We're teaching them problem solving we're teaching them critical thinking that we, we are teachers in that way, you know? But sometimes I'm just, I have my needs. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back with Laura Lynn Knight, we're going to talk about, you mentioned something called positive discipline. We're going to talk about what positive discipline means. uh, And then also, you know, how to unlearn some of our bad behaviors as parents, our triggering knee-jerk reactions. Uh, So stay with us. We'll be right back. Laura Lynn Knight, before the break, we were talking about, um, or I had, a, I had a question about what you you're a certified positive discipline educator. You've mentioned positive discipline a couple of times here. Let's really flesh out what that, what that actually means. What is positive discipline and how can we employ it, employ it with our kids? Yeah. So positive discipline is just a parenting approach out there. You know, there's many parenting approaches. There's hand in hand parenting. There's positive discipline at the root of most of the parenting approaches out there. You know, if you look at um, even Dr. Dan Siegel, he doesn't have a parenting approach, but he does know drama discipline is a book of his that I love. Um, 
but the root of all of it is that authoritative parenting approach, which is the kind yet firm. And so it's that we treat our children with the respect that we want them to treat us. Mm-hmm. We believe that they are capable. We have faith in them. Mm-hmm. So that means in our home, you know, for my children, everyone has a job. Everyone does a chore. Everyone also gets allowance. Everyone mm-hmm. learns to budget their allowance so they can buy what they need to buy. There's kind of this level of um, equality in the home, yet at the same time, it's very clear that parents are in charge and that there are limits and boundaries, but they're fair limits and boundaries. And that's what we were talking about earlier. You know, like what is a logical consequence? So you have to, so I mean, if I had to boil it down, it's Mm -hmm. it's just sort of a, a, a... an early or, or a, a coordinated understanding of what the consequences could be and would be for for uh, behavior outside of the expectations, a clear uh, a clear conveying of what the expected behaviors are, and then mm-hmm. and then and then that way there's a buy-in from the kids and. Is that is that is that the essence of yes, it, or am I missing yes, some part? Yes, I of think it? that I think you're summarizing it really well, and. When you're saying that, it reminded me of, you know, my experience as an elementary school teacher. I taught first grade and kindergarten. And in my teaching, like there's so much routine in the school. You know, if you think about a school day, kids thrive there Mm -hmm. because of the routine, because of the clear boundaries, because of, you know, they know what's expected of them. Right, right, right. And so, I mean, not all kids, of course, kids have different needs and they might need different schools, but for the most part, no matter what, even if you do have different needs, you're still going to have a certain amount of routines and expectations. And Mm -hmm. so we don't need that same rigidity at home because at home we want our children to be, you know, free to let their guard down and to share their emotions, but they do thrive well with routine. And I think the more us as parents can do some of this work ahead of time with our children and have our family meetings every week and talk about the problems that are coming up and find solutions, the more our children are held in a safe container and space and the less reactionary we become. And, uh, you know, I'll just give an example for my daughter the other day, she was super frustrated about something. I can't remember why she was frustrated, but she got out a piece of cardboard and she made a chart for herself. She drew pictures of the things she could do to calm herself down. And I was like, that's incredible. You're six years old and you are thinking already about how do I calm myself down when I'm feeling overwhelmed? Mm -hmm. So, you know, this, these tools really work, but there is some effort that has to go in, uh, ahead of time. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I mean, what I'm hearing you say too is if, if you employ these, if you employ these tactics more and more, your kids begin to employ it with themselves, and mm-hmm. and you actually, you know, can move on to to other different behaviors. Yes, exactly, per- yeah. perfectly said, and uh, that's what we want, right? We want our children to learn these tools. If you think about it, when your children knock on the door and they're 25 years old and they're coming home for holiday break or whatever, you know, what kind of child do you want to see? Or like, what adult do you want to see? What Mm -hmm. qualities do they have? What, what, 
goals do they have? And so when I think about it in that way, it's like, okay, how am I going to help them get there? Like, what's my long-term goal here? Uh, And that makes it easier sometimes in those moments of they just won't brush their teeth or they won't put put their shoes on. Like, I know we're going to get past that. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's just really hard in the moment before we started recording. I was talking about how, you know, it's the the days are long, but the years are short. Like to your point, Mm -hmm. the context in which we'll have these kids is very short. But while you're in it, it feels very overwhelming, even for for us, uh, even for the parents or sometimes even especially for for the parents. Uh, You've given us some amazing amount of things to chew on. And and I I know your time is valuable. I do want to I do want to start to wrap this up. But um. (laughs) Uh, I I do want to get a little bit more into, you know, uh, we want to create a calmer environment for our kids. We want to do it. What do we do as parents uh, when we're in a situation where we need, a situation needs our attention? Uh, Maybe it's siblings fighting uh, and you need to separate them, but we're starting to feel ourselves become overwhelmed. You know, some of these tactics, we've talked about a lot of tactics to get the kids out of their, out of their more basal uh, fight, flight, or uh, freeze um, uh, part of their brain. Uh, how do we get back into our prefrontal cortex? Like, do you have any strategies that you use for that? Absolutely. So, you know, the first strategy, well, one of the strategies we talked about was the plan to pause poster. And I love doing that for myself. And I always encourage <laughs> parents, like make your plan to pause poster, think about your five to seven things that help you calm down, put it up on the wall, save it on your phone and model it for your kids. I mean, not only are you going to calm yourself down, but that's an like a very valuable teaching lesson that your child will always remember. Oh, this is what my parent does. Mm-hmm. This is what my caregiver does when they're feeling overwhelmed. That's why my daughter was able to make her poster, right? Because she's seen me do it so many times because right. I, I might be a parenting educator. I'm very still much like I'm still a human <laughs> right? <laughs> and I still get overwhelmed. Um, And then it's also the things that I need to do in my own personal life when I'm not with the kids. You know, for me, that looks like having a daily meditation practice. Mm -hmm. I, it's really important to me. There's Mm -hmm. so many, when I got into meditation, there were no apps. There wasn't like insight timer or headspace or any of Mm -hmm. these things. But now, I mean, I just turn on insight timer and I'll do a course or I'll, you know, listen to a five, 10, 15 minute guided meditation. But Mm -hmm. the more I do that, I mean, what we know about mindfulness and meditation is that it's scientifically proven that it decreases stress, it reduces anxiety. You know, I mean, there's so much, and I'm sure you dive into this on your program all the time that it brings so that I'm not, my bucket is filled. So I have something to give. Um, and I think, for us parents in such a busy world where we're always on, it's like we have to make that commitment to like, what am I going to do each day that's going to fill my bucket just a little bit? Because mm-hmm. otherwise it's all, it's too much. It's like, it's, we have so much going on. I, it's amazing. We all survive. <laughs> yeah. You, you talk about, so I think that's great. I think, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. The, the research on, on, on all kinds of mindfulness practices are, are, um, are, are are really promising. And I mean, I guess conclusive at this point that what it does for your brain, what it does for engaging more parts of your brain and, um, and, and overcoming some of the burdens of modern life, 
where we're hyper focused on one thing at a time uh, in way or, or on multiple things at a time with a lot of different distractions and and what that does to our brains. So I love that. I feel like um, this kind of all coincides. You said something earlier that I thought was was really poignant about mindfulness, and that was like the mountain is to the weather. That's how you should be with your thoughts and feelings. You can observe them. You don't necessarily. You can't necessarily change them in the moment, and that's good for your kids to know when they're feeling upset. And it's good for you to know when you're feeling upset that the point of mindfulness is not to get rid of your emotions, but it's to understand them and observe them. Um, yes. And be yeah, present. And to... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, please, you. Um, so, so I, I feel like screen time is the thief of what we what we've been talking about. I notice it when my kids are watching shows. They come back from watching, uh, you know, Saturday morning cartoons, and if the characters are mean to each other, my kids are meaner to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is it is, and I'm I'm not bashing. I obviously I, I love television. I love screen time, uh, but I know. I know what it can do to an undeveloped prefrontal cortex. Is there, is any amount of screen time appropriate? Um, because it is, it does rob you from being present in the moment. It puts you in a totally separate space. Yeah. You know, screen time, uh, it's such a tricky, such a tricky thing. Um, and in my book, it's actually, it's funny because I'm writing a book right now on parenting and it's 10 chapters and I've, done every chapter, but I skip chapter five because chapter five is screen time. <laughs> and there's, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going to write that chapter last mm-hmm. because it's the hardest chapter to write because there's so much that goes into that. Right. right. And there's so right. much research and there's so many differing thoughts. And what I do, you know, and where I'm at is I've tried no screen time with my children. And sure. to be totally honest, um, it did not work for me because I was going to lose my mind. Right. (laughs) Right. I needed to have a little bit of screen time in my home and it separated them socially. You know, I mean, the older they get, it's that really hard dynamic of, are you the only kid that's not playing video games? Are you the only kid that's never seen that show that all Mm -hmm. of your friends are talking about and how do we find the balance? Um, you know, and unless you're out of school, that's, you know, completely anti screens, but those are hard to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me personally, and with the research I've done, I feel like, you know, 20, 30 minutes a day of screen time is not going to ruin our children. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I still have children at an age where I can pick shows that are pretty appropriate for them, mm-hmm. which I'm grateful for, you know, and for old parents that are listening to this that have older children, I really love the resource common sense media. It breaks down, you know, the age level, why it's appropriate, why it's not appropriate. You can actually just kind of get some really good feedback from there on what you let your children watch so that it's screened ahead of time. You can screen what, their screen what is time. That, what is that site again? And I'll put a link to <laughs> uh, the show notes. Yeah, Common Sense Media. Okay, link to Common Sense Media in the show notes. You guys can check that out. I think that's a great resource, especially as you know, with nine nineteen thousand different streaming services and no real uh, understanding of, you know, <laughs> no, it's no, so it's so hard. And I yeah. was just um, interviewed two days ago for the Today Show, and they were asking me about Squid Games. And then uh-huh. yesterday, also, I had an interview about Squid Games, and um, you know, it's 
it's rated 15 years and older. I don't know if you're familiar with the show. But... Very familiar with the show. Okay. Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> loved it. But I cannot imagine a child watching that show. Yes, and and a lot of children are watching it, and it's really confusing for them because mm. they're playing childhood games in the show, and yeah. then there's this element of killing, right, with the mm-hmm. games, and we're seeing kids act that out. Yeah. In an aggressive way, and so yes, I think parents we can be present to the screen time. Mm -hmm. Screen time can be a family activity. It's really important, I think, as parents to be aware of what our children are watching so that we can have bigger conversations if we need to have them. Um, And then, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. So yes, I think screen time is appropriate, but How much are you getting on the ground and actually playing with your kids? Are you having that special time every day? Are you, you know, for older kids, maybe it's you're teaching your child chess or whatever, but like at least 15, 20 minutes a day of just that one-on-one or Mm -hmm. family play is so invaluable and it will help your children be very regulated. It will decrease a lot of sibling fighting, actually, if you are participating. So, um, you know, just make sure you're getting those other important things in too with the screens. And and also let give yourself some, some grace, right? Have some grace with yourself about your kids getting screen time when you need to finish the project to finish. Exactly. You know, I, yeah, that's why I, I have screens now. <laughs> I learned. I was like, I can't do this. I can't do it all. You know, I, I don't live. And I think if I lived in like a tribe of people taking care of my children, that would work. But when you're in this more like solo parenting model mm-hmm. that we have, mm-hmm. we need a break. Yeah. Uh, Laura Lynn Knight, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, I'm have, I have two last questions that I asked everybody. How can people follow up with you first and foremost? Uh, people can find me on my website, uh, Laura Lynn, L-I-N-N, Knight, K-N-I-G-H-T dot com. And uh, I have a lot of great resources on there that parents can download for free. Um, and a lot of them that we talked about today. I'll put a link to that website in the show notes. So you guys just click that and uh, and check out some of Laura's resources there. And one last question I ask to everybody. What is one thing we can all start doing today? that will make our lives a whole lot better? Mm, That is a good question. I think one thing that we can start doing today is writing down three things that we are grateful for at the end of the day and sharing that with our family. There you go. I think a gratefulness practice is amazing. (laughs) Uh, Laurel and Knight, we just appreciate you so much. and, And again, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me again. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like the show, please rate, comment, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Makes us it makes a huge difference for us. So thank you guys for those of you that are following up. Uh, you know, uh, reach out to us on social media. John's on Facebook, facebook.com slash John Tesh. I'm Gib Gerard. You can find me at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard, at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. I try to respond to every DM, every message about the show, every suggestion you guys have for uh, people we can interview because ultimately I do this show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening.